Thank you for tuning in to another episode of One More Story. Just a quick programming note, parents, if you'd like to skip past the interview and go straight to the first story, you can find it at the 19-minute mark. And please be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on all the social media platforms at One More Story Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and enjoy tonight's episode. Welcome to another episode of One More Story. Our guest this evening is Cassidy Freeman. You might know her from Smallville, Longmire, or from her current role as Amber Gemstone in HBO's The Righteous Gemstones. Cassidy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I was just trying to think the last time I I saw you in person. This isn't exactly in person. No, it's kind of in person because we were like friend friends. We were. This isn't like, yeah, like we like we hung out. We had friends in common. I used to come see your place, Sight Unseen Theater. Yeah. Yes. You know my brother. I know. Well, I've kept in touch with your brother because he's stayed local. We've been commiserating on indie filmmaking and trying to get projects going. And uh, actually, I just had him on. I don't know what order I'm going to be releasing these episodes, but he did a phenomenal job. So you're saying there's competition? Is that what you're saying? If there is, I don't know. That's up to you guys. I'm not going to get into the family stuff. Listen, this is your show, Peter. I, I know, it is. It's your show. <laughs> so you're you're coming to us from New Mexico, yes? Yes. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You do. So when you're shooting gemstones, are you in Charleston proper or are you on Sullivan's Island or where... You know, <laughs> are you allowed to say you never know? You never know where you're going to find us. No, everyone there knows where we are. It's like not it's not funny. We have stages. We shoot in North Charleston and then and then all over. We have sets in North Charleston at the Citadel Mall. And it's not secret because one of them is an exterior. If you drive to that mall, you'll see this huge wall as you drive like you're going to the mall that just says like gemstone, like as if it's a church. So people show up wanting service. <laughs> but when I'm living there, it really, uh, yeah, I've lived on Sullivan's, Mount Pleasant, Charleston, you know, it's wherever there's an Airbnb. So what's your experience been like in Charleston, working out of Charleston, being out of LA, shooting a show? When we shot the pilot, I was living in LA and I had to leave my dog who I don't have anymore, but for like a whole month to go there and shoot the pilot. And I remember that was hard, Shasta, but what was even more I didn't expect the full sweat effect. Oh yeah, that Charleston is. Oh, it's and I swampy. feel like they really primed us with the pilot because we shot it. It was the month of July, and oh, every that's time awful. that we looked at, it was the worst. It was the like August is the only thing that would have been worse. When you look, but at the end of August, the nights start to get anyway. When you looked at like the the weather app, it was just like thunderstorm, 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 and I was like, how are we supposed to shoot? anything but they really they primed us to get ready to sweat and we um the pilot was so much fun because everyone was in the same hotel we were all getting to know each other it was that full summer camp feeling that i think everyone likes to have or likes to think that tv shows are what they are right and then when you come back for the full season it's a little different you know because you have your own place but i really enjoy charleston there's a lot of great incredible food there oh yeah like Stuff that just blows you out of the water. And, you know, there's great food in L.A., but you have to drive for an hour and a half to get it. And I can go to like 20 different places in Charleston in 10 minutes. And that's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Not a lot of ethnic food, I will say. 
little little short. I'm really like searching for dim sum. I would really love some dumpling. But other than that, it's incredible. The seafood is, I can't eat oysters anywhere else, literally, except 167 Raw. It's, uh, It's great. The community of this show is really great. Danny does a great job of inviting us to like baseball games and soccer games and boat rides. And like we all do stuff together as a family, which is really fun. I do hope in the future, should we get picked up for season four, which we don't know if we are yet, that we get to shoot not the summer months. That's my only, that's my only wish. Just because I'm a hot blooded person and it's a lot. So let me ask you, what was it like going from Smallville and Longmire to to something like this? Very tonally different. Incredibly tonally different. All of them, to be honest. That's true. At the beginning, it was sort of like you take the job that comes to you and you trust that it's there for a reason. Right. And in hindsight, I can see each one of these being such an interesting pivot to my career and something that I think is really easy that happens in Hollywood a lot, especially before you become sort of before you are a name or before you have choice in what roles you want to take. What happens is people, no one wants to take a chance on you. Like no one wants to be like, oh, I could hire this person I've seen do this role 40 times or I could hire this unknown. They're always going to hire the person, which is, I think, lazy, not always, but often. And so a lot of times you can sort of become, as they say, like pigeonholed or you can become a type and then you always get those parts. And what I think I'm really grateful for, and I can't even say I did this incredibly consciously, but I I was so excited to accept roles that were really different because I didn't want to do what I had just done. For example, like Smallville just came out of actually a pilot that didn't go for the CW that was about a medical drama called Austin Golden Hour. <laughs> Way too close to something else that rhymes with that. And um, <laughs> and also was like a bunch of 23-year-olds that were surgeons, which is just not possible. Uh, but we had a lot of fun doing it and there were great actors on it. And Justin Hartley was like number one on that and I was number two. And it was really, it was like a fun, I had no idea what that meant either at the time. Right. But it was a fun show that didn't go. And then Justin and I both went to Smallville. So that was sort of like a, a weird a weird way into that. It wasn't like I came out of left field. And then after Smallville, which was a very specific role, right? Like comic book, right. um, very stylized, a lot of fighting, some like badassery, like some really cool comic book stuff, fantasy stuff into like a Western about a sheriff that doesn't own a cell phone. And in the middle of that, was an opportunity to test for, I don't know if you remember the Charlie Angels TV show. Yeah. And I think to my agent's chagrin, I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Like they wanted me to test. And I was like, I can't do it. And they were like, what are you talking about? This is like a huge pilot for ABC. I think it was ABC. And I was like, I just have to think about the long game. Like I've kind of been doing that a little bit. And I also like, I just want to do something different. And I also didn't want to move to Florida. So... I I passed on that opportunity. It wasn't an offer. It just was like an opportunity. And out of that came this really different, cool opportunity, which was Longmire. And then that went on for six years. Which is amazing. <laughs> Incredible. And brought me here. Yeah. Day, which is why I live here. And in the middle of Longmire, I actually, we were canceled by Netflix. I mean, we were canceled by A&E um, and Netflix hadn't picked us up yet. So we were in this weird interim. And I actually auditioned for Danny's other show, Vice Principals. And <laughs> and I had to go through like eight rounds because I'd never done comedy. 
right? Like I'd never, I hadn't shown my ability in that world. And for good reason, I had to go through many different like auditions and we had so much fun. I got to do all these auditions with him. We had a great time. And then they cast me and then Netflix picked up Longmire. And then I had, they wouldn't let me do both. Warner Horizon wouldn't let me do both. Because Longmire was my number one. And they knew the whole time this was a possibility. I wasn't trying to be secretive, but so it was heartbreaking. I had this opportunity and it like, and it went. And I was, I mean, I was beside myself. I went to every head of department that I could. I begged, I like pitched all these different ways to do it, you know, without getting too self-righteous or political. Unfortunately for women, it's not very common that we get those kind of opportunities to get to do both shows, which I think happens more for men. And happens more for people who had more under their belt in terms of their professional career. That being said, it wasn't my time. So I went back to Longmire for three more years with Netflix, which was incredible, to be honest. It was exactly what I needed. It's where things should have gone because cut to Longmire ends and a few months later, I get an audition for The Righteous Gemstones. And I'm like, I remember I was in a rental car in Santa Fe visiting some friends, like at a red light reading my email because I wouldn't do it while driving obviously just fist bumping like so stoked to have the opportunity and it and it and it went all the way which i couldn't be more grateful for i wanted so badly to get into this world of comedy that is difficult to get into for anyone extra difficult for women extra difficult for women who have never done it before and uh it's a dream come true well and you definitely hold your own i mean especially with that cast how much of it is is improvised and how much of it is scripted the scripts are very tight. You know, I think a lot of people watch that show and think that we're just going off and it's crazy. And we do, but we're we're launching from a very clear pad. We're launching from a very tight script that has been worked and worked and worked and worked and questioned and worked and punched up and worked. And, you know, it helps that Edie Patterson, who plays Judy, is also a writer on the show. She's amazing. She's She's a goddamn unicorn, is what she is. I mean, is. she's she is so ridiculously funny. Like I can't get enough. I know, I know. She's she's definitely something you can't get enough of. And she's an incredible human being to boot, which just makes it. That's nice to hear. Yeah, she's she, yeah. We're super duper duper best friends. Uh, we live together when we're in Charleston. We're just we're like we're super buds, and it really makes me happy to find women in this industry that are like her. She's a unicorn. She's awesome. But it helps that she writes on the show because she can kind of, you know, she really does put on the actor hat when we start shooting. But it's just nice to have that consist. Her and Danny are always on set, right? Like helping out with that stuff. That being said, especially the scenes where we're all like the church lunches and such. I mean, those are going like, I feel bad for our camera department. Those those takes are going 15 minutes. It's also a show that is not without substance. I mean, it it is very pointedly going after hypocrisy and greed and i think it's a it's a biting social commentary which makes it all the more brilliant because i think it's one of the things that the show does is it's a it's a wonderful mix of of high and and very very low brow <laughs> yes it's very very low I think it's cool. I think I remember during um, when we did press for season one, I was really interested to see how people reacted to it and to see how Danny reacted to it um, and people's perceptions because, you know, I believe it was his like aunt who was a pastor. Like he comes from religion. He comes from a religious family, a a family of of belief, of faith. And he takes that to heart. And I think it was it was interesting to hear him say like, 
I created this to highlight the hypocrisy, to highlight the humor of it and like how ridiculous that is. And the way he does it is kind of through a back door. You know, it's not like the NPR, like, this is what's wrong. This is what happened. This is whatever. It's like this. It's like this way to make people see it in a different light. And I think something that we are missing is the ability to laugh at ourselves and each other without (laughs) without violence. And so, you know, I think it's a really cool, I think it's a lot deeper. And then he just loves to add, yeah, that that very low brow just balances it all out. It's a nice release, too, because nobody wants to to be preached to about these things. I think that's also the value of, of horror movies as well. Horror and comedy are wonderful vehicles for social commentary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You want to be entertained. You don't want to be lectured to, talked down to. Right. Well, I'm I'm hopeful that there's a a season four. Me too. You know, this is interesting that we're doing this today. Today is the the first teaser of season of season three. Just came out this morning. Like literally, just dropped an hour and thirty seven minutes ago. <laughs> we are not that I'm paying attention or looking at it. From. <laughs> We are premiering June third at the A at the ATX Festival, AXT Festival. I'm just like okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just having difficulty remembering things because I'm sleep deprived. Mom brain. Mom brain. Full mom brain. And in Austin, there's this cool TV festival happening the weekend of June first through the fourth. Nice. And we'll premiere there on the third, and then I think we drop on HBO on Father's Day. So you mentioned you are sleep deprived. You have how old is your child? She just turned fifteen months. Fifteen months. So you're <laughs> Which is in a it. thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a year and three months. Just for everyone out there who's like counting on their fingers. That's a thing. But once you get past two years, you just do the yeah. years thing. Yeah. yeah. Thank goodness. Anybody anybody who says twenty five months, I don't <laughs> like um, I don't know what that means. They're out. What they're out, yeah. Yeah. How do you get your child to sleep? <laughs> what is your bedtime? routine since this is a a podcast about uh, bedtime stories bedtime routines we're trying to wind people down for the night right? yeah so, i love it so yeah what do you what do you do what do i do first i mean i don't know how far back you want me to go in, in our day in our in our way but we're still in a two nap phase um so okay two naps and then i really try and get outside before bedtime because i think it's important to get like fresh air and see other things but getting ready for bedtime involves just the most fun bath you can imagine including lots of yacht rock nice yeah she's really into megan trainer right now (laughs) this is something i used to dance with my nephew with my brother's son nate nate and i would have dance parties to megan trainer before i was always taught to like not to get your kids super riled up but then i've read recently that it's good for them to be physical before bed to like get it out not right before but like you know, as part of the the routine, they sort of have rough and tumble play, as it were. So lots of pillows to the head. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we we have a great we have a great bath. Um, sometimes it's like a bath with everyone. Sometimes it's just the just the ginger, and then um, full body massage with lotion, some tickling, some some chase me, chase me, <laughs> and then we go into her room and we read. Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Six to 12 times. That's her favorite book. That was a big hit in our house. Yeah. Like she, every time I turn a page, 
and she sees red bird, you know, green frog, purple cat, white dog. She laughs as if she's never seen the page before. And it's so endearing and also very confusing. <laughs> and then uh, and then she she is a girl who likes to either, if she's with me, uh, she gets the boob and she boobs to sleep. And if she's with dad, she gets a really fun walk around the room while getting rocked. Nice. And then she has a floor bed because we're hippies. Yeah. And then, yeah. So once she's down, how do you wind it down? So once she's down, I come out of the dark room. <laughs> I let my eyes adjust <laughs> to reality. Yes. Summertime, she goes to bed a little later because I don't know if you know this, but the sun doesn't set. And uh, Ben and I usually enjoy some sort of like treat, chocolate milk, and an episode of Barry or some such show. And Love Barry. Yeah. And then and then I'm, I'm usually in bed by 9.30. I'm reading a book right now called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't A-Holes. And it's fascinating, but I try. I try to. I try to read. That is something I miss. I know there's people that put their kid down and then they like. They're like, my night is starting. But because <laughs> because like she's not someone who sleeps from seven to seven, and that's okay with me. I'm getting as many hours as I can to function. Yeah. 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 You got to do it. You got to do and it. And I kind of love it. I don't know if this is having a kid later in life, but. I'm sure if I were like 27, I'd be like, God, won't this thing go to bed so I can like hang? And now I'm like, I have the greatest excuse to say no to everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's awesome. I know. It's funny as you you hit a certain age and you're just like, nope, don't really want to do that. Nope. And now you have a really valid excuse. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. Well, should we get into it? Yeah, yeah. I don't even. Yeah, I'm excited to see what getting into it is. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, but I'm here. I'm gonna draw a word. Let's do it. Oh God, I'm so excited. All right. So the word is donut. Oh God, I love your daughter. <laughs> she loves donuts. So do I. So we are going to tell a story okay. based on the word donut. Okay. And since you love donuts so much, why don't why don't you give it a whirl and I'll just pick up where you leave off. There's a faraway town called Paris, France, and there's a huge bakery where all the little croissants and uh, the, you know, the elephant ears and the, the puff pastries get to live. And on the left side, there are these different kinds of pastries that like don't look like all the other ones. Um, and they're called donuts. And the donut one morning looked around at all the other pastries getting bought up by everyone and no one was buying the donut and the donut looked down and saw that there was this big hole missing in the center of him and he thought i wonder if i'm complete and his buddy the cream filled eclair whose name was francois francois said to him 
You know Donut, and the Donut had a name too. The Donut's name was Philip. So Philip and his pastry buddy, Francois, would often talk while they were sitting there because Francois wasn't super popular either. He came out a little misshapen out of the pastry making machine, whatever. I don't know how you make these things, but he was a little misshapen. He didn't have the eye appeal. And so they sort of had this bond because Philip felt like he had a hole inside of him and he felt like he needed that hole filled. And so they were talking one day and Francois said to Philip, he said, you know what? I know that you're not getting picked here, but maybe it's because the French just, they're not big donut eaters. And maybe, maybe it's just not the right fit. And, and maybe you should, you should travel the world, you know, and see other places because I look at you every day and, and you're the only donut here. And maybe you're just in the wrong market, you know, and, and it's nothing personal. They're just not used to, to eating you. And, and maybe if you travel the world and, and maybe you can meet some other donuts and, and kind of find your tribe and then, you, then you could come back and, and fill that hole, but you don't have to fill that hole. Literally. It's a, um, it's a spiritual hole, you know, it's a, it's a mindset, you know, because you're a donut and donuts are supposed to have holes. Well, Philip set off into the kitchen and he grabbed some cream filling because he didn't want to believe Francois first, you know, like Philip doesn't like to not be there and he wants to be like everybody else. He, he wants to be chosen in the city in which he's been. So he fills his hole with as much of that cream filling as he possibly could. And when he sat up, it all fell out. It was gone. It wouldn't stay inside of the donut hole. And that's the moment after he had tried everything that he actually realized that Francois was was right. So um, he hopped onto a bakery truck headed for the border and he traveled. He traveled by bakery truck. He hopped on to different people's cars and onto their backpacks. I mean, he hopped onto dogs that were running through places. He, he hopped onto one woman who thankfully was headed to the airport and he got on a plane and he didn't realize that the plane was headed for New York City. And what Philip didn't know is that people in New York City love a donut. They don't just love a donut. They, they welcome any donut with open arms. And, you know, it was a very long journey. And Philip had to drink a lot of water to stay hydrated on this journey because, you know, donuts can get dry. But Philip had a singular vision. And he arrived um, in New York City at JFK, <laughs> hopped on the subway and made his way down into downtown looking for a bakery that he could feel a part of, that he could feel welcomed at. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually been to New York City, but it is a busy, busy place. And Philip, usually hearing French everywhere and you know, seeing people sitting in cafes enjoying their day, he, he was overwhelmed. There was so much going on and he had a lot of doubt. Was he really going to make it here? I mean, had he just 
traveled across an ocean to try and find a place that accepted him, where people wanted him, where he was the favorite pastry. And he's walking down the street and he's looking up and trying to see and, and, and people are bustling past him and, and knocking him down. And man, he had to have a lot of strength and a lot of courage to be able to do this journey alone. But finally, he starts to smell the faint hint of coffee. And he remembers that that smell goes with pastries. He thinks to himself, I must be near a pastry shop. And so he follows the scent of coffee all the way to a perfect door. And it gets slammed open by someone hustling. He peeks inside and what he sees is this fluorescent case full of pastries and even more importantly full of donuts and he assumed that he was just going to be greeted with open donut arms by all these donuts but they all kind of looked at him funny he was still kind of different he'd been traveling right he had had a lot of water he was still a little soggy he was a little swollen a little bloated his shine, his icing had kind of worn off. He had picked up all sorts of crud on the subway and the streets, and he looked like a really sad, tired donut. He didn't look edible, and he didn't realize that until he walked past a mirror and he saw his reflection, and his heart, his little donut hole heart sank. But there was one there was one pink sprinkled donut in the entire array of donuts who noticed young, dirty, swollen, bloated, sad Philip. And she, she felt bad for him. And she sighed, oh, not another one. And he heard her and he didn't really understand what she was saying because he spoke French and that was a barrier that they were going to have to overcome if they were going to communicate. But she sounded sympathetic and he could just tell by her tone that, that she was one of the good donuts. And so he turned to her. Her name was Jasmine and she was the most vibrant, beautiful pink sprinkled donut you've ever seen. And he turned to her and he started walking towards her. And as he did, a customer rushed in and bought Jasmine. He paid for Jasmine. The baker put Jasmine in a bag and the man exited the bakery with Jasmine. And, and Philip was, was crestfallen. He, he had no allies in this group. They were all giving him the, the donut stink eye. Jasmine was, was his, his hope for, for a new life, a new experience in this new world, and he had to find her. So he rushed out the door after her. Realizing and accepting that to be chosen is very important, but to choose another is even more important. He goes bustling back out to the New York City streets, trying to find this, this man who has bought Jasmine following the paper bag up and down, up and down. A, a dog almost jumped up and grabbed the paper bag at one point, and Philip's heart stopped. 
He couldn't believe that he had almost lost Jasmine again. And then this man takes a sharp right across a busy street with lots of cars and bloated and soggy and and tired. Philip is just running as fast as he can behind Jasmine's bag. This bag he's seeing. He knows the beauty that's inside this bag. And they get to the park and the man sits down on the bench and he puts the plastic bag or the paper bag that Jasmine is in next to him on the bench. And Philip sneakily starts creeping under the bench to see if he can maybe, I don't know, say something to her in French from underneath. (laughs) See if she's there. See if she knows that he came to save her, to get her to spend his life with her. And as he crawls under the bench, the man slowly starts to open the paper bag. But then something distracts him. Someone who knows him runs into him at the park and starts a conversation. This is Philip's chance to talk to Jasmine, to say what he needs to say to her, to tell her that he thinks they need to be together forever in a world of donuts because she showed him kindness. She made him feel seen, something he had never, ever felt before. So he reaches his little donut arm up to the bench and he starts climbing, climbing the back of the bench. He climbs all the way up and peers over the bag of the bench into the open bag. And there is Jasmine, her pink sparkles, her incredible shiny beauty. And he trips and he falls directly into the bag right on top of Jasmine. But they are together in this one singular moment and she doesn't mind. She's so glad she's not alone and he's so happy and even though he's wet and soggy and all the things, and, and then they, they start to feel the bag move as the man who purchased Jasmine has finished his conversation and is reaching inside the bag to eat a donut. And he put his hand in and he stopped for a second because he felt two donuts. And he thought, oh sweet, the baker gave me a bonus donut. I'm super hungry today. This is fantastic for me. So, right there and then, he ate both Jasmine and Philip. And they swashed around in his mouth. He swallowed them into his stomach. And they were bonded eternally in the bliss of being a chosen donut. The end. Cassidy Freeman, are you ready for your solo story? I'm so ready. All right. So the word is key. Key, as in lock and key. Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Sophie. And the thing Sophie hated more than anything was going to bed. She didn't want to be alone in her room. She didn't want to be away from her family and friends. She just liked being around people. And one particular night, her dad said, Sophie's dad, whose name is Bill. Bill was like, Sophie, look, you never know what you're going to find in your dreams. 
and Sophie turned over, pouted, and went to sleep. A few tears fell from her eyes as her dad left the room, and she slowly started to drift into dreamland. All of a sudden, Sophie woke back up, but she wasn't in her bed in her room. She was in this bright pink hallway that she'd never been in before. And in the distance, down at the end of the hallway, she could see this shiny little speck. Look, Sophie was a little freaked out, right? I mean, who wakes up in a pink hallway and just thinks everything's normal? They don't. But she remembered what her dad said, and she thought, I wonder, I wonder if I'm dreaming. So she started to walk towards the sparkly speck. And her body felt funny. Her body felt like it was moving through, almost like it was moving through marshmallows. Like she was so light, but she could feel everything. And so as she starts walking towards the sparkly thing, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And she's looking around as she's walking and she's noticing that there are these doors, so many doors and every single door, they all have really interesting and intricate doorknobs. And she wonders, What's behind all of these doors? But she has a singular focus, and she is still walking towards the end of this bright pink hallway, towards the sparkly, shiny thing. Finally, after what feels like forever, she arrives. And what is there laying on a bright pink pillow but this beautiful silver key? She picks up the key, and she wonders, gosh, what is this key supposed to do for me? And then she remembers, because you know, in dreams, you're not really thinking the same way that you think in your real life. Everything's a little bit slower. Everything's a little bit softer. And she remembers, oh my gosh, all of those doors that I just passed. I wonder if this key could open any of those doors. All of a sudden, she's not worried about going to sleep. She's not worried about where she is. She is super excited. She quickly spins around and she runs to the first door that she can find. And right underneath a giant doorknob, which is shaped like a seashell, she jams the key into the hole and click, it opens up. She opens that bright pink door right into the ocean. She gets kind of panicked at first because, you know, she's a human. She can't breathe underwater. She wonders if she has to swim really quickly to the top or if there's a boat or if there's anyone there to help her. Is the water going to be cold? Is it going to be hot? What's going to happen? And she just plunges right in and the water is like a big giant bathtub. And guess what? Sophie doesn't need to jump to the surface to breathe. It's like it's like she's a fish. She's in the water. So she starts swimming. She starts swimming like She's always lived in this ocean. And all of a sudden, in the distance, she sees this thing moving towards her. No way. The thing that she sees in the distance is a dolphin. It's her favorite animal. How could she be actually swimming with a dolphin? The dolphin swims right up to her, as if she's been there all along. And he says, oh, hello. My name is Bill. And she goes, what? That's my dad's name. And she goes, I know. I know it's your dad's name. He sent me here and he told me that I had to be best friends with you and show you all around the ocean. And Sophie's like, this is crazy. I just met a dolphin with the same name as my dad and he's going to show me around the ocean. What is going on? Bill goes, get on my 
back. Hold on to my fin. Be very careful, though, because dolphins are pretty, you know, sensitive on their dorsal fin. And come with me and meet all my friends. Sophie cannot believe what is happening. Literally, this is like fantasy for her. To be able to swim and breathe in the ocean with Bill, the Australian dolphin, she is so excited. So Bill swims with her through the water, through the perfect bath water, all the way down to a party that's happening on the bottom of the ocean floor. And I mean, there are sea anemones, and there are crabs, and there are mermaids, and there are like all of these crazy fish with incredible fins, and some of their eyes are on top, and some of their eyes are on bottom, and some of their eyes are on their tails. And everyone is just a flutter, so excited to meet Sophie. She goes, well, what are you guys all doing here? And they said, oh, we're having pasta for dinner. Come join us. Come have a bowl of pasta with us. And she's like, I love pasta. This is incredible. And she was pretty hungry because she didn't eat a lot of her dinner before she went to bed. So there's Sophie sitting on the floor of the ocean, eating a bowl of pasta along with Bill, her new dolphin friend, and all of the other ocean creatures. She can't believe it. All of a sudden, a band starts playing. And she's like, music in the ocean? And everyone stands up and they start dancing. And she can't believe that fish can actually dance. You don't need to have legs to dance. So she's dancing her heart out. She's so excited. And then Bill swims up to her and he goes, Hello, Sophie. Here's the deal. Everyone here is about to go to bed. And we love going to sleep because when we go to sleep, we get a lot of rest, right? So... I'm afraid, though, that you can't stay here while we go to sleep. So I'm going to take you back to the door. Is that all right? And Sophie's a little crestfallen because, to be honest, she didn't really want to leave. She really was enjoying her time on the ocean floor. But she understands that not all great things last forever. And so she, she nods her head and she says, OK, Bill, so weird to call you Bill because that's my dad's name. And she hops on his back and she waves goodbye to all of her friends on the ocean floor. And Bill takes her back to the door, waves her goodbye, and swims off into the ocean. As soon as Sophie opens the door to go back into the pink hallway, she is sucked back into the hallway. And she lands completely dry, as if none of that had ever happened. But then all of a sudden she realizes, wait, where's my key? And she starts looking in all of her pockets. Phew! It was right there in her side pocket. So she waltzes up to the next door she can find. And the doorknob is in the shape of an ice cube. It looks so real. She actually touches the ice cube and it's cold. I mean, it should be melting, but it's not. I mean, this hallway must be magic. So she takes her key, her bright big silver key, and she shoves it right into the hole underneath the ice cube, the cold ice cube. And click, she opens the door, and all of a sudden, she enters a winter wonderland. I mean, how did they know that Christmas was her favorite holiday? Trees covered in snow everywhere. There are snowmen just bopping around. They don't need legs. They just slide along the snow. There's so many happy other kids just drinking hot chocolate. I think she even sees Santa somewhere. I mean, this place is crazy. This must be the North Pole. Where did she just enter? And then she looks down and she realizes, I'm just wearing 
in my thin pajamas. How am I not cold? But she isn't. And all of a sudden, this snowman named Fabio comes up and he's all, Well, hello there, Sophie. My name is Fabio. And here I am to show you around the winter wonderland. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Is this the North Pole? And he's like, listen, Sophie, we don't really like labels here. We don't want to call it the North Pole. We don't want anyone to think it's something specific. But yes, Santa Claus does come here sometimes to hang out. It's just because it's such a cool place. And she's like, well, what what are we going to go do? And he goes, come with me. Hold my stick hand. And she leans in and she's like, I can't believe your your eyeballs are actually made of coal. And he's like, yes, yes, they are. I can see quite well. 2020 coal is what I have in my eyes. And she's like, Fabio, this is so cool. You don't even know where I went. He goes, it doesn't matter where you just were. Be here now. This is the winter wonderland. And so she's like, okay, I got to say yes to everything because this is insane. I love this place. So Fabio takes her with his stick hand and leads her over to a place where they're having a puppet show. I mean, kids everywhere. And Fabio goes and gets her this huge mug full of hot chocolate. And then he goes, hey, Sophie, I'm just wondering, do you like marshmallows in your hot chocolate? And she's like, yeah, well, yeah, who doesn't like marshmallows when they're hot chocolate? So he reaches over in a big bowl of marshmallows. And usually Sophie only gets like one, two, maybe three marshmallows if she's been really good. Fabio fills half the mug with marshmallows. I mean, more marshmallows than she could ever imagine. And she puts the mug, she holds it with both of her hands. It's so warm. It's so comforting. And she sits there and she watches this puppet show. It's hilarious. She is laughing so hard. These puppets, they are they are jumping around the stage. They are hitting each other with mallets. They are dropping over and playing like asleep. And, and, and they're just, they're making her laugh so hard. They're slipping on ice. They have, a, they have an ice rink that they're pretending to try and run on. She just can't stop laughing. And then she looks over and she sees this other little girl sitting next to her. And she's like, hey, I'm, I'm Sophie. Who are you? And this other little girl goes, oh, hey, I'm Samantha. Nice to meet you. People call me Sammy. And she's like, hey, Sammy, where are you from? And Sammy goes, oh, it doesn't matter. We're all here. We're all here in Winter Wonderland. That's all that matters. And Sophie thinks for a second and goes, gosh, I wonder if Samantha is tucked away in her bed, having the same incredible experience that I am. I wonder how many kids go to sleep at night and get to go to these magical places. But she doesn't ask Sammy if she is a key because she has to stay present in the moment because this puppet show is amazing, right? After the puppet show ends and she looks down and she's had all of her hot chocolate, and I mean a lot, she awkwardly asks Fabio, uh, hey, Fabio, um, is, there a, is there a bathroom I can go to here? And Fabio goes, oh, yes, of course, of course. There's, there's so much hot chocolate being served that, of course, everyone needs to go tinkle. So he leads her over to this igloo, not kidding, an igloo outhouse. And Sophie goes in and it is just hilarious and spectacular. She cannot believe the life she's living right now. So after she goes to the bathroom, she feels all ready to go. Fabio says, you know, Sophie, um, we all have to go to bed now. So I'm going to have to take you back to the hallway if that's okay. And she goes, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's great. I can't wait. Because she knows how many doors were in that hallway that she now gets to go into and find these magical places. 
So Fabio takes her with a stick hand and walks her, shuffles her back to the door. And he goes, Sophie, thank you so much for coming and know that you are always welcome here in Winter Wonderland. And she goes, hey, maybe next time I could actually like, meet Santa, if you could hook that up. And Fabio's like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. He's a very, very busy man. So he waves goodbye and he goes away. Fabio goes back to his Winter Wonderland. And Sophie looks at the door and opens it and is whisked right back into the hallway. She can't believe it. She cannot wait to find another incredible place. So she goes to the next door and right as she sees the doorknob is in the shape of a cloud and she cannot believe it. Is she going to get to go into the sky? And right when she shoves her key into the hole, she hears, Sophie, wake up, sweetheart. It's time to go to school. What? She's been woken up out of her dream. And I mean, her bed is a mess. Her covers are everywhere. Her pillows across the room. She doesn't know what happened in there. I think a hurricane came in. And her mom opens the door and says, Sophie, you overslept. How are you feeling this morning? And Sophie just smiles and says, I'm feeling great, Mom. I can't wait for nighttime to come. The end. Thank you to Casty Freeman for coming by and helping us weave some awesome stories tonight. Be sure to check out the season three premiere of The Righteous Gemstones on Max, I guess it's called now, HBO Max. I'll still call it HBO, but it's out this Sunday, Father's Day. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of one more story. Until then, have a wonderful night.